This podcast is brought to you by Arc Facilities, providing instant mobile access to facility information for on-the-go teams. To learn more about our smart building technology, visit arcfacilities.com. And now, welcome to the Facility Voices podcast with your host, David Trask. Hi, I'm David Trask from Arc Facilities, and this is Facility Voices, the podcast that brings you real-world FM experiences from the front lines in the field. My guest today is Diana Ferreira Schwartz, Chief Administrative Officer at the New York City Department of Education Division of School Facilities. Diana, welcome. Thank you for having me, David. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you. And Diana, tell us a little bit about you and your role at the Department of, of Education. Sure. So as the Chief Administrative Officer for the New York City Department of Education, we now go by New York City Public Schools. I work for the Division of School Facilities. So there I see a varied portfolio in which I'm responsible for planning, structure, and the expertise in directing all administrative functions, as well as cross-functional project work across all the divisions under school facilities. But my primary focus is on human capital, which is human resources, finance, labor relations, and contract administration work streams. Big job. A lot of hats. Yes, it is. Keeps me busy. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, I'm the same way. I thrive in that type of environment for sure. So tell us a little bit more about the New York Public Schools. Well, our mission at New York City Public Schools is to provide a safe, clean, and a comfortable environment that's conducive for educating and nurturing our children. So the Division of School Facilities, our primary function is the maintenance and the repair and safe operation of all school facilities under the jurisdiction of the New York City public school system. We currently have approximately 1,400 school buildings and over 130 million square feet of floor space throughout the five boroughs of the city of New York. Big footprint. My goodness. I talk with a lot of organizations that have large footprints, you know, but they're typically scattered around all around the country, you're condensed in such a large area. I would imagine that that's got some challenges too, but what are some of the initiatives that and things that you're looking at doing in the future with the school? So our primary focus is pretty much like data and technology. So like the key concepts in all K through 12 education facilities is the use of data and technology. We want to not only inform our decision-making, but we want to support transparency. That's now expected by all staff, parents, and the community, understandably so. So whether our focus is on health and safety, for cleaning, disinfection during the COVID-19 pandemic, or just daily operations like building use, the system status, people are now asking questions and they demand answers on issues that were inaccessible to them before, you know, the use of social media. So DSF has been and always will be. We're just always going to try to continue to adapt to a world that collects information in real time. And we want to provide it to our public in a way that's understandable, but more importantly, meaningful. Well, you know, it's evolving and everything in, in facilities is evolving so quickly. It's staggering to think it, you know, where we were five years ago, let alone 10 years ago. Absolutely. I know one of the big things that's, that's impacting facilities, teams large and small around the country, is the, the current labor shortage. And, you know, a lot of organizations are, are struggling. They're facing a, just a ridiculous amount of retirements. They can't find skilled tradespeople. They're looking at outsourcing a lot of the things that they 
traditionally in the past they've kept in house. And then there, you know, obviously there's unions that come into play too, and and the relationships with the unions. What are you seeing with regards to the labor market and and how that's impacting New York public schools? No, absolutely. These are very very challenging times. So, like for division of school facilities, like in short, every school building needs to have like an on-site custodial engineer, right? Along with a team of fire persons, handy persons, cleaners that are responsible for garbage disposal, sanitation, HVAC, plumbing, carpentry, painting, minor repairs, etc. And these teams are also assisted by our mobile skilled trade mechanics who tackle all the complex work beyond the scope of just building-based skills. So the city's labor shortage coupled with the city's hiring freeze has made it extremely difficult to not only backfill, but also attract viable candidates. However, on a positive note, the mayor's agreement with unions, for instance, UFT or DC 37 and other unions and non-union employees, affording them now the opportunity to partake in the telework program, which in short allows an employee up to two days to work either at home or remote at an approved location, has somewhat helped us attract and retain talent for our non-skilled trade employees. But we have been forced to rely on our contracts to outsource work due to capacity issues. Our recent issues with that is that we have contract threshold increases, but we attempt to stay in constant communication with our unions to make sure our interests align, especially during this tumultuous times. Some creative challenges that we've gone through is that luckily for the division of school facilities, we have over 180 contracts. And generally, we have many job order contract vendors or requirement contracts that we rely on. And moreover, our general contractors, they subcontract their work out to many companies that are either known to our division or other city entities. So some challenges we recently encountered in regarding to our outsourcing is that we're encouraged to allot approximately like 30% of our contracts to minority and women-owned businesses. And the difficulty is that we might not be able to find an MWBE in a niche field. So in those instances, we just outsource the purchase of the equipment and the materials to afford an MWBE opportunity. So we just try to find creative ways to basically get the work done. You know, I think that's such such a good outside-the-box concept is you're providing that. And many orgs struggle with that, whether it's financial resources or you know, they even struggle with the, the concept of outsourcing. And sometimes, especially with the current labor market, what choice do you have? You have to look at outsourcing because you can't find the people to do it in-house. And I think the way that you're affording that to those other organizations is just phenomenal. So how can orgs, you know, from a large perspective, obviously, you're, you're a massive organization. Mm-hmm. How can orgs better position themselves to pitch their ideas or products or services to your purchasing teams and what are some of the things that you would recommend that they come in loaded, ready to set themselves up for success? So for like communicating with us, basically what we're interested in is if you're going to come to us, come prepare, you know, like do your homework, see what the division school facility needs and just do not expect to get business just because there's a procurement vehicle, like focus on what you could do for us and just listen to our feedback and just respond to it. But the type of qualifications that we need, we just need someone that has like good references, scale, and just someone that has the ability to be flexible. I always ask this to people that that are going in to make a pitch and Mm -hmm. they're going in there to talk to somebody, especially large organizations, is how much research do you do on the people who are going to be sitting in that room? And 
a lot of folks walk in and it tends to be kind of a deer in the headlights. They didn't know that IT was going to be there. They didn't know that this other division was going to be there. And it is caught off. They're caught off guard. And I, I couldn't agree with you more that, you know, know your audience. You know, when you walk into that room, be prepared. Absolutely. And do you have any advice for orgs, especially the MWBEs, looking to do business with the DOE. I know you mentioned pitches. Are there any other things that have been impressive? Share a story where somebody may have walked in and, you know, you're like, man, after they left, gosh, that, that was really great. Just to share some of those types of best practices. So we have many people, like we attend various fairs. We've had people come to our offices. So communication, just communicate, like, what does your particular MWBE, like, what do you do? Try to develop a relationship with our director of contracts and purchasing or share what you feel that is important. We love when vendors come to us with ideas and options. A mistake that I noticed that vendors make sometimes is that they don't listen. A vendor might think their product is a good fit for DOE. And sometimes it's not, and they just try to sell it to us anyway. A vendor needs to just listen to critical feedback. And many times they could just make minor changes on their end and they can create a successful partnership with us. They just need to listen and just adapt. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think, you know, I post on LinkedIn often and a lot of the things I post with regards to people who are in a selling environment or selling role is, is listen. Pause. Absolutely. You know, mm -hmm. I say this all the time. Be interested, not interesting. It's not about you. You know, if you're not listening to what their needs are, how can you even recognize whether or not you're the right fit for them? I always say that no is not a, a bad thing. If, Absolutely. You know, someone tells you no, you know, it saves you time. Mm -hmm. And we encourage even smaller companies and MWBEs because there's value in being able to provide more personalized customer service sometimes than a large corporation. So just, you know, come to us with ideas and options. It's always welcome. Well, and learn from those. Learn from Absolutely. that bad pitch you know, mm -hmm. and, and get better. So, you know, in the previous discussion that we had, one of the things that you brought up that my ears immediately perked up was with regard women in management. and. We are writing an entire series of articles on focusing in on women in facilities and talking about that career path and, and how they grew into that. And some of the stories that we've heard are completely all over the board. They, they had no desire, no, it wasn't even on the radar to pursue a career in facilities or even in management. And one lady that we talked to was in law school and was working part-time while she was going to school and ended up getting into facilities and healthcare organization while she was in law school. And now she's running an entire division of this huge healthcare organization. You know, one of the things that you brought up was the women in management or your WIM program. Tell us about that. I have a similar pathway because I'm, I'm an attorney by trade as well. So yeah. it's a small world, you know. Love that so story. Which is why I'm more on the administrative side. But yes, we have a, we call them ERGs, which are employee resource groups. So we have a, we had a woman in facility management group, which was founded in 2016. And the founding members focused on building leaders by assisting members with working on their resumes, improving public speaking, interview skills, and building connections, you know, via a mentorship program. And then we realized that many people at the time, 
that were part of the Department of Education were interested as well. And they were not under the facilities umbrella. And they were like, we're interested as well. So can we join? So we changed the name from Women in Facilities Management to Women in Management to become more inclusive. So essentially our WIM, which is Women in Management, we just support the professional, social, and personal development of all employees while driving diversity, equity, inclusion in our workspaces, you know? So WIM identifies and we address all the barriers and workplace power dynamics that inherently marginalize women. However, please note that anyone can join. We have a few male allies that have joined to support the core mission of the program. So our goals are like twofold, in which we strive to provide professional and personal growth opportunities, and we encourage improved communication skills, and we also facilitate different networking and access to senior leadership, and we provide a safe environment for sharing and feedback. And we try to find different ways to introduce the field of facilities to females identifying students, and we offer opportunities to learn. So we hosted like various workshops. One workshop that I would like to highlight was like Show Me the Money, which was a financial literacy workshop that taught people how to make meaningful investments for your future. So we had guest speakers from BERS, which is the Board of Education Retirement System. And we also had a financial consultant who shared their best practices for making effective and informed decisions. And we also hosted scholarship opportunities. So one success story that comes to mind because it finally came to fruition was a scholarship in which we paid for two members to get refrigeration operation license via, you know, FDNY permit, which will enable a person to get a job as a custodian engineer or a deputy director of school facilities. So we had a WIM member who was from another division, and that person was afforded the opportunity to receive the refrigeration license scholarship, which paid for that person to take classes for six to nine months. And the person graduated, and they've recently been promoted and onboarded under the Division of School Facilities as a Deputy Director of School Facilities. So now in her new capacity, she oversees a portfolio of 30 to 40 schools, and she oversees the custodian engineers, and she didn't have that before. So that was like something nice that we saw that came to fruition from that. That's phenomenal. And I had a conversation just yesterday, a podcast recording with a guy from the Florida Department of Education, and they have a program where essentially it's an apprentice program. And they work with trade schools, tech schools throughout the state, and they're broken into different regions throughout the state. But one of the things that we were really talking about was opportunity. And it it came down to underserved areas around the state, underserved areas you talked about around the country. And I think by these types of programs, I think it really helps to lift people up. And, And one of the big things that we were focusing in on is trying to eliminate the stigma that skilled trades are less than a career. And I'll I'll use this example. One person told me, you know, that, oh, you know, it's just a job. It's just a job. And that's kind of a misconception, I think, that's been out there for a long time is, is that if you don't have a four-year degree, you're not going to be successful. Well, that's false. And a four-year degree is not meant for everybody. And that's okay. I think it's interesting and I love hearing the stories of the ways that organizations are doing almost like a grassroots to build up. Now, on the K through 12 side, I'm just curious and I know we hadn't really talked about this. Do you have trade programs or even basic trade programs within some of your schools like Auto Shop and We and have we have all everything that you mentioned we do. So 
we have career and technical programs. And we also have basically additional pilots that we have, but I'll go more into that. So our career and technical programs, basically they consist in showing our students like a reimagined vision that stems around career connected learning. So as you stated before, the truth of the matter is that college is not for everyone. So we want to provide an alternative career trajectory in which we're integrating real world skills with experience. And they have very lucrative careers that they can get a job in all 50 states, you know. So we just want to provide our students with another pathway to provide them with an opportunity to build a strong path towards rewarding and lucrative career and skill trades. So we currently have a career technical training program in which a student from various public schools will actually shadow either an electrician, a carpenter, you know, plumbers. And basically, it's an apprentice program in which they get paid. We do that throughout the year. And we also do that through the summer. And New York City Public School also launched two additional pilot programs this year. They have Future Ready New York City, which is a multi-year initiative where participating schools choose in one of the four career pathways. So it could be like business, education, career, technology. And there's also the career readiness and modern youth apprenticeship. And we participated, division school facilities participated in this apprenticeship, which is also a multi-year initiative in which participating schools ensure that students integrate their time spent on academics and advanced training. And they also get paid work to further develop their skills and exposure in their desired fields. So we also have the CTE for skilled trades path, and we have it more for our administrative path as well. So we have, we hosted approximately 14 to 15 children, and we placed them in various administrative offices within our division, such as contract administration, finance, human resources. We have some of them in our environmental health and safety, and these students are primarily juniors and seniors, and they come to our office two to three times a week. This is a paid apprenticeship, and the duration is approximately three years. And these students have the opportunity to continue with the program until their sophomore year of college, which could result in an official job offer from their apprenticeship site. That's phenomenal. I love those stories. I almost, like I said, I think these are almost like grassroots efforts to, although they're structured, I think yeah. these are, they're building from within. And that to me is just invaluable. I respect that. And I love the fact that you're doing these types of programs to help the kids. I think Absolutely. that's at the end of the day, that's the goal. Yeah, that's what it's all about. We're here for the that's kids. It. So that's mm-hmm. it. You Make know, sure my, they my succeed. You know, exactly. My daughter's a sophomore in high school and her school has a full engineering program. And I can't tell you how much passion that brings to my heart when I hear things like that, that they have these types of things because so many schools around the country for years they eliminated so many of these programs and mm-hmm. they didn't provide that type of thing. I went back to, I'm going to date myself, or I went back to Pacific mm-hmm. Northwest where I grew up and I spoke at my high school. They asked me to come in and speak. And as I walked around the halls, and it had changed over the years, of course, but as I walked around the halls, so many of the programs that were there, basic programs that I thought were basic programs were gone. You know, auto Same shop here. was gone. Mm-hmm. I had auto shop when I was in high school and that was eliminated. So we're bringing back a lot of STEAM programs. But another noteworthy highlight that we've had with our sustainability group is that they partnered with not only like the CTE, but they partnered with New York Solar. So this collaboration mm-hmm, included integrating clean energy and sustainability contact into existing electrical and engineering courses at our CTE high schools. So during this program, we have Solar One educators. They visit the schools each week for two weeks. 
to facilitate program contacts coupled with co-teaching with classroom teachers. So the topics that are covers are like the benefits of solar, solar site assessment, solar circuits, mounting and installing various electrical components. So the solar CTE program concludes with a capstone project where the students work in groups to install four 200 watt standalone solar systems. And in, in addition to wiring all the system components, the students learn how to mount the panels and they use common methods of rooftop solar mounting in New York City ballasted mounting. So it's like That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, it leads me to my next question here is what are some of those big initiatives that you have that you're moving forward with or looking to move forward with? You mentioned sustainability and, and yeah. solar. What are some yeah. of the other things? So like I stated, like our Office of Sustainability, which is a subdivision of Division School Facilities, like they work with schools on facility operations that increase the efficiency of our facilities, as well as addressing all environmental impacts. And they aim to provide all stakeholders with opportunities for action. So as we all know, education is important to our work, right? Right. To deliver purposeful stakeholder engagement, but we also want to have greater climate resiliency and, and expand climate literacy. So like our goal is to just improve the school building environment. We want to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. We want to maximize waste diversion. And we want to create green spaces that optimize learning outcomes and contribute to healthy communities. So we focus on emission reduction through operation and maintenance, energy efficiency, and conservation methods. We use clean energy projects and we use education and training to just target operational sufficiencies. It's not only our Office of Sustainability, so we use our custodian engineers, and we've also assigned sustainability coordinators, which are actual DOE personnel, as our primary contacts within the school, because they assist us with, like, all of our facility-based sustainability initiatives. So, like, these are the goals that we try to incorporate into the schools. Like, as everyone knows, New York City greatly contributed, like, New York City public schools, we greatly contribute to New York City's goal, which is to be carbon neutral by 2050. So that's how come we have different programs that manage our energy use. We're involved in the demand response program. So like on very hot days or cold days, basically our energy use increases around New York City. So to prevent power outages, we reduce energy at our buildings, you know, so like over 450 school buildings during like very hot days. We do this by turning off unused lighting, reducing elevators, service where possible, and scaling down equipment use. So we also teach this in school so that they're aware of these things. That's phenomenal. What are some of the other hot buttons for New York public schools that you're looking at pursuing in the future? I think that they were starting. I think they already had this already, but they had in, in participation with the cafeteria culture and the DOE's Office of Food and Nutrition. They launched their first citywide DOE plastic-free lunch day in over 750 school buildings. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Helping that touches so many different things in me that, you know, we're feeding our kids, we're educating our kids, we're providing a healthy environment for our kids. I just kudos to the Department of Education and and obviously and to you and your teams. What are type of business opportunities do you project within the next few years? I think that we're actually looking more into all of the initiatives that we're using to try to decrease funding, like we're being part of like demand response, working on our natural gas, like to, uh, we participate in over 70 school buildings to protect gas supplies during extreme cold. So we do this to ensure like all of New York cities have reliable heat source. So all of the money that we save in those, we reinvest. So we saved approximately like 4.75 million 
earned through the demand response program. And we bring it back to improve like energy efficiency in 56 school buildings. So if we're not getting money in, we try to find ways to conserve and then bring it back. Sure. That's well, pretty I mean, much I always say that orgs are always looking to do more with less. Correct. And we have to become very efficient. We're very large. We have to find very creative ways to, you know, make sure that everyone is safe and that we always go back to what our core mission is. You know, our core mission is to make sure that we have an environment that's conducive for educating and nurturing our children. And we can't do that if we basically have no funding and have no staffing. So we always try to find creative ways to make sure that this happens. Certainly. You know, and these programs, I really appreciate you sharing what you have, Diana. This has been phenomenal. And are there any resources that people can look up some of these programs that you provided today? Sure. You can look through sustainability is very, very helpful. So I know that their website is, I guess, is like sites.google.com slash view slash New York City DOE sustainability slash home. See if that you can actually type it out. So they have different programs or you just look under the New York City public schools website and look under sustainability and you would see various programs. And also I would look under the New York City contract and purchasing. So you would see if anyone's a respective vendor, especially MWBEs to please, we welcome your business. That's wonderful. And Diana, thank you so much for joining me today. And for the listeners, I look forward to catching you on the next episode of Facility Voices. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Facility Voices, a podcast that explores the big issues and challenges facing the facility management industry today. We welcome your feedback, ideas, and suggestions for topics and guests. Send an email to communications at arcfacilities.com or reach out to our host, David Trask, on LinkedIn. Facility Voices is brought to you by Arc Facilities. Arc Facilities.